When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. following program is intended for immature audiences only. Don't think, just listen. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 as we broadcast live high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania, and the Phil Giannetti Motors Studio. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call. The phone number is 724-785-6800, and tell him Bill sent you. Why don't you? On the phone this evening... We're going to have some fun tonight, and I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this for the last few weeks uh, when he agreed to be on the program. I have on the phone line America's original comedy coach. I didn't know there were other ones, but I have the original comedy coach. On the phone line right now, I have Neil Lieberman. Neil, how are you doing this evening? Fabulous. Look at me, Bill. Look at me. Just look (laughs) at me. I'm fabulous. (laughs) So you are the original comedy coach. Well, there are many, many imitators, Bill, out there. Since I've been doing this for 40 years, you know, many people have become comedy coaches, sometimes okay. comedians who aren't getting enough work. You know, they decide, oh, I'll do this for a little while, and they realize how hard it is. Okay. So how, how did you get started as a comedy coach? Okay, so I'm performing. It's the early 70s. It's the comedy store in L.A. Okay. And I'm just an open micer. And for some reason, the other comedians were dragging me behind the comedy store and saying, what did you think of my jokes? You know, what do you think of this bit? You know, this joke. And I didn't know why they were asking me, but for some reason, the advice that I was giving them seemed to be working. So after a while, all the other comics started to get wind of this, and they took me behind the comedy store, and they beat the heck out of me, and they talked me into becoming a comedy coach. The job didn't even exist at that point. Nobody's ever done it full time. Um, and I figured, wow, this what a great job. I have a built-in clientele. I don't have to travel from town to town and breathe right. cigarette smoke in clubs. <laughs> uh, so it was the perfect job for me. So um, when you started off in comedy, you always wanted to be a stand-up yourself, or was it just 
you wanted to try open mic and then you just found this natch? Well, I, I started off, my dad was a freelance writer for over 40 years, which is a, a difficult feat. And uh, he was a comedy nut. And so he would always be pulling me in front of the TV to watch, you know, in, the, in those days, Ed Sullivan, uh, to see, you know, what the, who the comedians were and how funny they were. So I thought I wanted to be a comedy writer. And then when I started doing the stand-up, I loved it, but I didn't love the atmosphere of it. Okay. Um, again, the clubs and the traveling and the, the smoke and everything else. Uh, so I still, perf- I still perform occasionally, but I do corporate gigs here and there, but not club work anymore. Years ago, I had the opportunity to interview um, a comedian. You probably know him by the name of Steve Allen. Um, of course. Creator of The Tonight Show and everything else. And I asked him the question about how he got into it. And similar to you, his parents actually got him into it because they were performers themselves. But you, you say your dad was watching it and I don't want to say forced you in front of the TV set, but (laughs) here, you're going to watch this. The appreciation of it uh, came about because back then, I mean, you had some really uh, uh, hard hitting comedians that were mainstream at that time that basically set the standard to what we hear today. Right. Well, they were a lot better, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, right. the old guys, the original guys. You know, the the you know Milton Berle and Jack Benny and Jerry Lewis and these guys. You know, these are the classic stand as, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm very, very old, Bill. Very old. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Good. We can relate to each other. I mean, the, the 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 comedians that I go back to that I one of the ones that's still my favorite to this day is Bob Newhart. Because that oh, dead, that deadpan comedy is just is just hilarious because you're not expecting it from someone like that, and yet he can take something that is so innocent and make it so ridiculous. Just a phone call and talking about Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and right. being the PR right. guy is hilarious. It's hilarious. I, you know, everyone had those albums growing up. Yeah. I memorized those Bob Newhart albums. I saw them several times live in concert, and just. Brilliant. He's still performing. Yeah, still till this day. So you yeah. you get an idea where I'm coming from. Now, do you see stand-up comedy as popular today as it was back in the early days? Yeah, it's more popular. There's okay. just more comedians, more comedy clubs, more television stand-up comedy shows. Yeah, so it's much more popular. Not as good. <laughs> Is it because you saying that? I'm sorry. <laughs> is it is it because there's too many of them that they can't have a unique sound, or is it just that, the material the material out there of what they're talking about has just been done so many times that they can't make it funny themselves? Yeah, it's hard to find a new slant on an old topic. Um, although I see it every day with my students, I, I see brand new original ideas, even like about something as, as hackneyed as the airlines. You know, comics used to do million jokes right. about that, but I still see original slants on that topic. So, you know, that is possible. I just think there's too many young comics who are working dirty, and it's just way too easy to do that. And people who hire comedians know that. So the dirty comedians, you know, they actually move up the ladder a little bit faster than everyone else, but then they level off and they never work the really great rooms and the great clubs. And if you work clean, you can have a very long-term career and move all the way to the top. So, well, you know, I'm, I'm very, very sold on, you know, clean material. Well, that that actually goes back to those days, too, because you look, mm-hmm. and I mean, there are a few that broke out like Red Fox, 
but right. his because he became more of a TV sitcom person with Sanford and sure. Son. But the stand-up he did was very, it would be considered blue comedy. Another one that I'm listening to now, I just bought the album set, is Rusty Warren's. And right. it's very, right. yeah. she's hilarious. I love her. But yeah. it, it, it is just, it's, it's, it's blue. It just had a different audience. And I think yeah. a lot yeah. of this comedy is now finding its way to a younger audience. So gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Well, I think the TV program on Netflix, the uh, marvelous Miss Maisel has mm-hmm. introduced people to that era of standup because that, what was funny then is actually still funny now because a lot of it's still relatable. True, true. And the, I mean, the comedians were smart enough back then. They knew if they wanted a long career, that they were going to work clean. Right. But a lot of these clean comedians, now I'm a member of the Friars Club. I'm sure you know. The yeah, Friars Club. Friars Club. They, yeah. And um, you've been around the business a million years, Bill. Why am I asking you questions <laughs> like that? But so I'm, I'm hanging out at the Friars Club and I'm, you know, hanging out with Milton Burrow and having lunch with him and, you know, all these different people. And then they have their roasts, you know, at night and filthy. Yeah. Filthy, fil- all these comedians who you never heard say a nasty word, just every possible filthy joke, but great filthy jokes, not real easy jokes, you know. So and, that was interesting to see. And, and the thing is, is that when, and, and you said they were better because they took time to set up the joke. They weren't dropping four letter words in there just to get a laugh the way we're right. familiar with today. They're actually setting up or it was a double entendre or stuff like that. Um, and exactly. My, my favorite story is the, um, it was the universal amphitheater, a great venue in LA. And one week I saw, uh, let's see, Richard Pryor. Okay. And he gets up and he's performing and Eddie Murphy is in the audience and he introduces Eddie Murphy and he yells at Eddie Murphy, seriously, no joke for 10, 15 minutes about use of language. Because he really liked Eddie Murphy, but he, he thought that he, Eddie was going down the wrong road. And because, because Pryor would use the language artfully and not as the punchline, but part, as part of a character or it fit in the story properly. And Eddie was just using it sort of as shock value. Right. Yeah. And so Pryor was upset by that. And I just thought that was interesting that he would call him out in public like that. <laughs> and Eddie was very gracious, you know, and he took it, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there I'm sure that that's a case in a lot of it, especially when these older comedians uh, such I hate to use the word older when I talk about you, but such as yourself trying to explain to these guys. Maybe this isn't the way you want to go. Maybe you want to be able to do clean stuff, because like you said, your career will last longer if you're able to do that. See, Bill, that was perfect. I need you to record that for me. And I can play that for all of my students, so they just don't hear me whining about it. All right? The time. Because uh, one of your one of your uh, students who gives you credit every time your name is mentioned is Bob Saget, and Bob can be as clean cut as one guy, and then go oh, totally in another direction. Absolutely correct. Absolutely, pretty pretty dirty club comic but obviously known as, you know, America's dad. Yeah. Uh, but probably, you know, one of the sweetest guys that walks the planet. Just just a very generous, you know, hysterically funny. He doesn't have to be that nice, but he is. So how long have you known Bob? I've known Bob since high school. Oh, really? And Oh, yeah. We, we were in high school together in, uh, in Los Angeles, and we made films together, <laughs> uh, student films together. And uh, one of them was called, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down, Bill? I'm, right, I'm waiting. Okay, it's called Hitler on the Roof. 
and it's about <laughs> Hitler coming back into society and trying to get a job, and he goes on an acting audition with other Hitlers, and he doesn't get the job. And, you know, it's a whole weird thing. Bob plays Hitler. And, uh, <laughs> He's a very tall Hitler, too, to boot, yes. Um, <laughs> a towering Hitler, yeah. no question. Um, so you were with Bob then when he got when he went from the um, the nightclub to the TV series Full House. How did that ever happen? Because I can't imagine the type of comedy he was doing transitioned him to be America's dad. Okay, well that's a very good question, um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that even though he was working sort of blue. Yeah, he was doing it artfully, and he had—you okay. he, could see the craft behind it, the timing, you know, everything, uh, the writing. Uh, so, yeah, people in the business—they recognize that. They—they they can look past that if the comic is good enough. And in Bob's case, he was. Mm -hmm. And so he got a lot of auditions for things. Uh, and and you have a lot of comics like that. If you and and the other thing is too, and I want to ask you this because I know stand up can be very difficult because of the hours, the travel schedule, and everything else. Is the ultimate goal to get a sitcom or get a hosting job somewhere, or is it to keep traveling and doing stand up, or does it depend on the person? Totally depends on the person. That's why I only work, and I've always only worked one-on-one -on -one with people okay so i really get to know them i spend time really fleshing out their background their family life learning everything i possibly can about them so i can help them make the right kind of decisions what kind of material should they be doing how should they be performing it how do they approach people in the business so it's yeah it's all very very specific to the individual so whenever you work with these people do you uh, what what would be a introduction to you how would they find you uh, these days, yeah. uh, it's either by referral. Okay. It's about 50% referral, 50% just finding me on the Internet. Okay. Searching Comedy Coach, and I'm coming up. So who would refer yeah. someone to you? Another comedian. Um, and, you know, it's not just comedians, Bill. It's, uh, you know, I'm working with actors okay. and writers, you know, sitcom writers, screenwriters, corporate speakers. You know, again, whatever it is that you need to work on, however I can help you make something funnier, you know, that's what I'm going to do. How hard is it to make someone funny who's not funny? Okay, very good question. You cannot make someone funny. It's impossible. It cannot be done. Okay. But I believe that everyone has a bud of a sense of humor. Okay. It's my job to reach down their throats and pull that <laughs> out of them. Okay? <laughs> it can be painful and disgusting. I, I, I can tell. it has tell. to be done. It has to be done, Bill. So, you know, that's, that's the answer. So uh, everyone's got it some a little bit somewhere and I just help them make it grow. So someone refers someone to you and they say, okay, we think you have the talent. You, they go to you. What do you work with them? Do you hear them perform a couple of times before you start working with them? Do you look at the material that they've written? Do you just talk to them? What do you do to get them started? Okay. Again, it's individual. So for instance, if, Someone calls me out of the blue, and they're a brand-new performer. They've never really gone up, or they've done one open mic or something. Okay. It, it's in the first you know, five or ten minutes of the phone conversation where I can determine if this person is serious enough about doing this. And it's not just their third hobby. I got you. Um, yeah. Um, I'm looking for people who are really committed to doing it. And uh, I forgot the original question. Because, <laughs> Bill, again, I'm old, and I forget uh, things. 
Well, no, the basically is is how do you work with somebody that that needs work, and how do you basically right. tell them, okay, you're funny, but you could do this to be funnier. <laughs> oh, you're brave. You're brave, Bill. <laughs> um, you know, I, when I first started doing this, I, I would tell people, you know, this is not for you. Get out of the business. Okay. And a lot of those people went on to be very successful. Why? Because they wanted it so badly. Gotcha. And I, I had the lesson I had to learn early on. You know, but some people call me now. Yes, sometimes they have material. They have videotapes of their shows. You know, so I'm, I'm going through their material, and I'm pulling aside what I think are the keepers, the good stuff. Okay. And they do that every week for eight weeks. They're just writing material, and I'm pulling aside the keepers. And we're, then we're going to structure a five-minute routine with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It sounds like you, not like anyone else, and it's clean. And then once you've memorized it, we rehearse the heck out of it so that you're 1,000% comfortable with this material and this act. And once you're that comfortable, then I will send you out to perform, okay. but not before that. Okay. Um, I saw a young man a while ago um, who's a friend of my son's at a local university who performed at an open Bill, mic. everyone's a young man to us. Go uh, ahead. Well, that's true. But he's a friend of my son's, so that makes it even younger. Uh, he did okay. an open mic night, and the audience was laughing because they were in their 20s, they were in their late teens, early 20s, and I'm in my 50s, and none of mm -hmm. it was funny to me. And I'm going, <laughs> am I just getting old, or what am I missing here? And that's, well, was, that's, it sub, was it subject matter you didn't, weren't relating to, or I, was the actual jokes not funny? To me, it was, I, was, I could relate to it. But it just wasn't funny. And I don't know if it was because of delivery that I wasn't familiar with the way he was delivering it. Um, there was some work. There was some vulgarities thrown in to get the laugh. And of course, the younger audience thought it was funny. And I'm just sitting there and there was probably about 10 or 15 uh, people my age. And we just sat there stone silent until we ah, felt, you know, you've, you've hit on it, Bill. We uncomfortable. No, you've hit it. You've hit on Bill. The audience was stoned. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's that's what was going on. Good that point. Night. You were in stone silence, and they were stoned. And I'm sorry, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no explaining it. You know. But really, it, unless it, you know their friends are in the audience and they're laughing. Right. You know? But if you're Some, if if you're looking at somebody. And you hear them tell somebody else is jokes, especially if they're a young performer. What do you tell them to do? Oh, yeah, you immediately have to stop doing that joke. Okay. Once you're labeled a thief in the comedy business, even if it's unintentional, it's impossible to erase that, and I'm not going to let the hap that happen to okay. anyone I work with. Does that happen very often? doesn't really because there's a lot of police out there. You know, every, every comic is a policeman. You know, they know everybody's jokes. Okay. They'll, you know, they'll yell out from the audience, hey, that's so-and-so's joke. You know, you don't, you don't want that to happen. Gotcha. Because I can imagine that being, that being very... Uh very easy to do especially doing it in small local venues until you were bigger in that and then people starting to call you out and then you have none of your own material and then it just stops well in the old days you could just do bob newhart's whole album and nobody would know it <laughs> i was you know <laughs> i was gonna say you know, that bill, bill, people did bill cosby's routine so, you know they didn't care nobody knew yeah be, that's no. true because of the internet everybody knows everything Everybody knows everything now. Way too much. Yeah, and that, and again, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, so, 
some of the people that you've that you've worked with, you've got you've I mean, you've you've coached them on to some really big things. I mean, just looking at uh, some of your students have appeared in um, the movie Little Miss Sunshine. They've been on Friends, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which, of course, was the pinnacle of a career by being on that show. Um, right. Will and Grace, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, uh, The Howard Stern Show, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle, Seinfeld, and keep on going. Now, the other thing I think is interesting is, like you said, you're not just working with comedians, you're also working with actors. And I see CSI on here and judging Mm -hmm. Amy, and I'm thinking, those programs aren't funny. No. (laughs) I mean, maybe they're supposed to be, and I'm missing it. I don't know. No, no. But, you know, comedians will play dramatic roles. And, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of comedians, they just, they want to be on, everybody wants to be on TV, Bill. Gotcha. You want to be on TV? Would you uh, like to be on TV? I don't have a face for TV, unfortunately. Oh, stop it. I've seen your face. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with your face. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe it's the rest of the body I don't have for TV. Maybe that's it. <laughs> okay. I can relate to that. <laughs> My wife had three kids. My wife and I had three kids, and I put on the weight, not her. Um, of course, but no, I, no, I love I love working with actors, even actors who are not comedians. Uh-huh. A lot of times they come to me because they want an an original audition piece. Gotcha. Because everyone goes in for these auditions with the same old, you know, Neil Simon or you know whatever, and they want something that's going to fit them. So you know, I do a lot of writing for comics as well. It's not something I really advertise, um, but I do do that, and it's something I really enjoy. Uh, how hard is it to teach someone to write jokes? It's not hard because um, I don't use any kind of joke formulas. Okay. Um, you can read books about how to do stand-up comedy, and they will give you joke joke formulas, mm-hmm. and I suggest you throw those books away uh, because nobody really does joke formula jokes anymore unless you're working a retire- the retirement circuit um, or you're a late-night writer. Because a lot of the late night shows, they're still doing very formula, set up, punchline jokes. Okay. Um, so as far as learning how to write, I just have them write with with no restrictions. Just vomit stuff out for an hour a day. Don't edit yourself, and then we'll take a look at it. And and that that's are yeah. you are you having them look at what's going on in the news, what's going on in their lives? How do you what do they pull from? Okay. Well, topical material, newsworthy stuff is uh, it's difficult because. Something happens that day, and we, my student writes a joke about it. I have the joke is now a keeper. We put it into a set. Okay. He memorizes the set. We rehearse the set. By that time, the joke is old. We can't do it anymore. Gotcha. But I still have them write topical material because when they are performing on a regular basis and, the, and something happens that morning, they can write a joke in the afternoon and perform it that night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And as far as pulling material, it's, you know, it's family life growing up. It's got to be stuff everyone can relate to. So it's about 50% observational material and 50% personal material. Okay. Because I was always wondering about that because, I mean, right now, um, other than what's happened this past weekend, um, right. political stuff with, with the administration we're dealing right, with right now, it seems to write itself in a lot of ways. Not just with the True. president, but with the Senate and the House. I mean, it just seems to write itself. It, it does, and that, that's a problem because because it writes itself, everyone's writing the same joke. Okay. And, and it's real tiresome after a while. 
I understand why they're doing it, certainly. Uh, and, it's, you know, it depends also on what part of the country you're playing and who you're playing oh, to and who's true, going yeah. to be upset by, you know, anti-government joke, you know. So you got to take it easy. you got to play the middle as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, that's, that's actually very interesting because I never would have thought that everybody would be writing the same joke. I mean, that, that does make a good point because you hear one guy do it one night and you hear the same joke two nights later from someone else. You're going, did they write it together? That's not really funny. And the second time I heard it. I mean, well, nothing, nothing travels faster than a joke except herpes. That's, I'm sorry. Just the way it is. Hate to say it, but it's the truth. Okay, I like <laughs> I like that. So, uh, do you enjoy what you do? I mean, that's one of the big questions oh that gosh. everybody asks. Oh my gosh, Are you kidding me? I'm I'm comp- I am so lucky and grateful every single day of my life. I, you know, I get to do what I love to do. Uh-huh. I've been doing it for forty years. I work with great people. Uh, every once in a while, there's a schnook, but that's okay. That's business, you know, happens. Uh, and sometimes I'm the schnook. But anyway. Um, no, it's it's the love of my life. So you say you do this as an eight week course. Is that what I get? Yeah, it's uh, it's they're in eight week blocks. Okay, and most of the people who take it's an, it's an uh, basically an hour a week for eight weeks. So you get eight hours of coaching, and most of the people who come to me stay for a year or two or mm-hmm. longer, eight weeks at a time, as they become an opening act, as they okay. become a middle act, as they become a headliner. Yeah. Now. Are there people that you worked with, say, 10 years ago that you're still corresponding with that say, hey, hey, I got this joke or I have this situation. Can I bounce it off you and you'd be willing to do that? Uh, you're talking about someone who used to be a student contact yes. me, yeah. contacting me for advice on a joke. Absolutely. OK. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Happy to do it. Because that, that to me right there, because that would be the, the big feather in my cap or the big pride moment is when a student who's doing well comes back and says, hey, I value your opinion this month, this much. I need your help on this one because something doesn't seem right. And I think that's kind of impressive that you have students that are willing to do that. It's unbelievable to me, Bill. I mean, every day I'm, I'm surprised by the fact that I can even make a living doing this. <laughs> Who would have thought that this was a job? Yeah, exactly. Um, so some of the comics that uh, you actually like, who are they? Uh, so current day, um, we're not going to talk about deceased comics. We've already done that. Uh, let's see. I like Brian Regan. Familiar with him? I have. Yeah, very, his, very. Yes, I have. Very clean and silly. Um, I like Jim Gaffigan a lot. Uh, I like Jim's family stuff. It's... Uh... <laughs> I resemble mm-hmm. Jim in some ways, to be honest. Oh, with you. I see. I hear you. Okay, I like a Canadian comedian named Sean Cullen. A lot of people are not familiar with him, but you can search the internet at C U L L E N. Very, very funny. And you know, the, all the other comics that I love are, you know, the ones you've you worked know, traveling, with, right? Traveling road comics that you would not know their names. There's a few that we have uh, in the Pittsburgh area that are. um, And that's the other thing I was going to ask you, too. It seems that every time you have a comedian that does well on the road in a region, a radio station picks them up and makes them part of the morning team because they're looking for that. I know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. (laughs) We have we have a, a. uh, a young a guy in Pittsburgh, not young anymore, but uh, he he he's done that, and he did stand up for years. Uh, one was Jimmy Crenn, and the other one was Bill Crawford. Uh, 
that they get picked up because they're able to think fast on their feet and they're also able to set up a joke. So they're able to play off of someone else, which is actually not that easy to do. So after they became regular radio performers, were they still doing stand-up? Yes. Yeah, they do. They still do do. stand-up. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and uh, we've had quite a few. Uh, Another one by the name of... um, uh, Jimmy Elmer, who also uh, has done That's stuff. Billy Elmer. Or probably. Billy Elmer, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know Billy Elmer. Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, because uh, I've seen uh, Billy Billy does some uh, <laughs> some risque stuff himself, but uh, it's, right. uh, he, right. he's, there was a couple, he did a, uh, oh, why can't I remember the name of it? He did a, a, a bit on one of the local CDs. Um, it's it was my my hot my Eaton Park my Eaton Park mama singing about waitress, and it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, really, it was just it would just blow you away. But he's well, he's a journeyman comic. This guy is you know a pro. He have knows you, what he's doing? Have you worked with uh, with Billy? If I did, I wouldn't say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a lot like therapy. These these guys and women they, they they want to protect the fact that they do all this by themselves, gotcha. and that's perfectly fine with me. I'm happy being the the guy in the background. I just know that you and I are both friends with them on Facebook, so I will take that as right. as as uh, as far as you'll go with that answer. Uh, but <laughs> so they don't right. want people to know that you're working with them. So you're working in you're you're basically working behind the scenes then. Yeah, how do I stay in business? It's like it's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. I, I just I just can't imagine doing the referral like you say, going, hey, you're really bad. You need to go talk to Neil for a while. I well, mean, it's better for someone else to do that, Bill, than for me to do it. I can't do it at all. That, that's true. I can't walk up to somebody in a club and go, hey, you know, you really need help. <laughs> Good. You may That's not, not going to fly. Well, you may have a, a a punch of the jaw, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Um, uh, everybody, you're listening to uh, online with Bill Alexander on the phone right now. We have Neil Learman, and you're listening to us on WMCK.FM, and also watching us on Fayette TV channel 77 and iTalknet.com. Uh, Neil, other than working with um, with students, how much writing do you do yourself? Approximately three hours every morning. Okay. I'm reading five or six newspapers online to give me ideas. Um, I have something that, you know, comedy writers didn't have 20 years ago. I have the Internet. Yes. So I have every possible subject, scenario, you name it. There's no such thing as writer's block anymore. Okay. Because there's plenty of stuff to write about. So yeah, two or three hours every morning, and uh, some of that is for my personal use, and some of it is working on um, people have hired me to write acts for them. So okay, far. and that was uh, that was what I was going to next. So when you write an act for somebody, how is it easy? Is it difficult? I mean, I can't imagine writing for someone else. Yeah, no, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it becomes easy. Okay. Um, so you watch comedians and you look at the headliners and you go see them perform live and you go, you know what? I, I get this guy's voice, or this right. woman's voice. I understand that I can, I think I could write for this person. And what I normally did in the old days was I'd hand them a couple jokes. Okay. Just stick it in their pocket and say, you know, take these. There's no charge for them. Just use them if you want to whenever. And a lot of those people came back and bought material. 
And and I don't sell individual jokes. I sell routines. It's a you know I guess full beginning, middle, end routine. You know whether it's ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour, and uh, I love doing it. It's it's one of my favorite things other than coaching. Um, so you see a performer perform. They've reached out to you. They're telling you, hey, I'm having problems or I don't have times to, to write a new act because I'm on the road, I'm traveling, I'm doing all this. Do you try to see them in, in, in person before you start writing? Do you watch them online? Um, oh, yeah, all those things. Oh, okay. yeah, you have to, I have to really immerse myself in who they are. So how, Otherwise, it's, it's just not going to work. How many clients do you have right now or have you had recently that you've written full acts for? Uh, boy, that's a, I'd have to look at my, a bunch. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, a bunch. Because like you said a few yeah, minutes. And there's a lot more, there's a lot more money involved in the writing than there is in the coaching. Uh, which I can imagine. But I love, I love the coaching so much that that's what I have to do. And, and nine times out of 10, the people I end up writing for are people I've, I, I've worked with okay. or are currently working with as a coach. Because they know what I can do, you know, right. so they're comfortable. Because the reason I ask that is because, as you mentioned with uh, with Billy Elmer, he doesn't want anybody to know that he's working with you. That would be the same way. You don't want anybody to think that someone else wrote your jokes. Absolutely correct. That is right. Because you're, you're that. The, you're, that would be the worst. Yeah, you're the yeah. silent guy in the background. Um I'm the guy laughing the hardest in the back of the room <laughs> at my own stuff. And everybody's trying to figure out why you're laughing. Just as long as you're not telling the joke while the comedian's telling the joke. That would be well, a real problem. I'm, I'm, I'm mouthing it silently. You know? <laughs> it's like going to a movie with someone going, hey, wait, watch this part. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be really good right here. They're going to say this. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. Or, yeah. okay, have you done this then? You've gone in. You've written for somebody. They, and they bomb. They bomb, and you're yelling. They in the, bomb, yeah. And in the back of the room, you're going, what the heck did they just do here? I wrote okay, them great I'm material. I'm, again, I'm laughing harder than anyone else if they're bombing. Okay. There's nothing funnier <laughs> than watching a comedian bomb, especially if you know that the act they're doing, everywhere else they've done this, and every other night they've done it, they've killed with it. Okay. But for some reason, this night, nothing. That room doesn't not work. Even, uh, not even golf applause. Nothing. <laughs> I can't imagine golf applause. That's awesome. I... <laughs> yeah. And comedians like it when they're bombing, too. They really do, because they, they go into panic mode, and they, yeah. sometimes they come up with material that they never thought of before. Do you teach a comedian how to deal with a heckler? Um, I used to, but I really found out that there aren't very many hecklers anymore. I think they've retired, most of them. Uh, the union closed them down. I don't know what happened. I, I don't think people are not drinking as much as they used to. Oh, that's good point. Uh, my, my general advice is, if there's an audience of 250 people and somebody down at the table, down stage right, says something to you, 90% of the audience didn't hear it. Okay. So if I respond to that heckler, I'm leaving out 90% uh. of the audience. So the first thing I do is I repeat the heckle. So the audience now is in on it. Okay. And now I'm I'm elevated. I'm on a stage. I'm amplified. I have a microphone. I can destroy you. Gotcha. Okay. I, I have a whole bank full of <laughs> heckler stoppers, you know, if I need to use them. Okay. But normally normally I won't. I'll just power through the act because nobody heard it. Okay. And that, I mean, I, I wouldn't think of that because, again, when you, when, like you said, a large room that big, 
most of the audience didn't hear it, but if you're doing a small club where there's like 30 or 40 people, do you have to deal with it then too? Do you just keep powering through or do you just, or I, my, you just my address preference it? is to, my preference is to turn the audience against the heckler. Okay. Okay. Uh, how many people want this guy to leave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Raising my hand, you know, and it's, and everyone will raise their hand. Okay. You know, so. Okay. That's, yeah, uh, I, I, I've always wondered that because I think that's one of the things that would prevent me from, from doing comedy. I've done public speaking. I've done that and have no problem with it, but I think trying to be up there for 10, 15 minutes and going, I have to entertain for that long would be difficult, especially if I know that there's someone that's not understand or not getting what I'm saying. And they start attacking me. My problem is I think I'd go after the heckle, the, the heckler and not deal mm-hmm. with the audience. And I think there's, there may be more people like that than the, than not, but that's what the, I said. If the you problem is once it. you leave the, once you leave the act to deal with the heckler, you've just lost your concentration. And that's what I, yeah. Now you have to get back into your act. How are you going to do that? Right. Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, it, it, it people, I think, think stand up comedy is easy. because they're relating stories about their lives for the most part. And yes, they are funny, but there's a lot going on up there, especially like you said, if they're bombing and they can't, and and there's no applause and they're just standing there and they're going, what am I? And I mean, they, they have to go into a panic mode sometime in that act. Well, most of what's going on up there is what happened before they went on up there. Okay. Because that, that, I'm about. I'm all about the preparation. Okay. If you prepare properly, you're going to be fine on stage. Because most you'll, comedians, you'll be able to power through that. Yeah. Yeah. They, most comedians don't prepare enough. Oh, really? Especially new comedians. Well, new comedians. They what? just sometimes they'll just you know, they have they have five words on a piece of paper, five different topics. They didn't. They haven't written out the jokes at all, and they just get up in an open mic and they're, they're looking at the paper and they're well, what's the next thing here? You know. It's very, um, makes me want to kill myself, Bill. It, it, it's Sorry the, I said it, that, but it's true. Well, it's the whole idea that they want to wing it is what it is because they think if they can, they can improvise, they're going to be funnier because they can read a room. Sometimes they, they wing it and sometimes they want the audience to think they're winging it. In other words, uh, they have written the jokes, they have rehearsed them, but they go, Hey, here's some stuff I'm just working on. I've never tried this one before. Let's see what you guys think of this. And they'll do a joke, you know? So it's, it's about manipulating the audience too a little bit. Okay. Um, again, it, it, again, it's very interesting to hear because um, of, about get, building that confidence. What are your tips for new community, new comedians? Well, the four main tips are clean material, okay, mass audience appeal material, fresh new material, and looking great. Because these are the things that the club owners, the sitcom producers, and people who, who book commercials and films, etc., they're treating you like a product, and you have to be aware of that. So you have to sell yourself in the, in the proper way. Okay. So if you're dirty and you're talking just to a specific group of people, and it's not your material or it's the same stuff you've been doing for two years, and you're wearing T-shirt, tennis shoes, and jeans, they're not going to hire you. But if you're dressed really well, your material's clean, the audience likes it, it's got mass audience appeal, you're representing their club. So that's what they're looking for. Of course you have to be funny as well. Right. You gotta play the bit you gotta play the business end. 
So have you worked with comedians that have done it for years, stepped away from the spotlight, and then have come back again? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. Sure. And and when they come back again, how is it difficult to get them back into the scheme of things again? Because the, the, the type of comedy, even though the basics haven't changed, there has to be something different about what it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, if they're coming back, uh, generally we're scrapping the entire act. Okay. And we're starting fresh. And we're rebuilding. And we rebuild five minutes. If we're building an hour, we're building that five minutes at a time. Okay. And I take it then you work with their strengths of what they did 10, 15 years ago and then try to rebuild their um, their repertoire with new material then. Yeah, and make sure that they're they're stretching. And the whole point is to help comedy, you know, ad, advance as an art form. That's what we're, we're not trying to do the same old stuff. Where do you see comedy going in the next five years? There's no answer to that question. Comedy doesn't change. <laughs> it's just I've been asked that question in a million interviews, and that's why you're so good, Bill. You hit on the solid question like that. I refuse to answer it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the country. Not answering. Move on to the next question. Well, the reason I ask that is, as like yeah. I said in the beginning of the interview, I had the opportunity of interviewing Steve Allen. And mm-hmm. I asked him about The Tonight Show, and I asked him about where he saw that type of comedy going in the future. And he basically said it will still be there, especially if you have a host and a couch, because everybody wants to hear everybody talk about their personal lives and stuff like that. And I'm thinking comedy, it may be the same as it is now, but there still has to be some type of growth to it in the next five or 10 years. Cause if not, people are going to get bored with it. Well, you know, every, every day new people are born and they have brains right. and their brains will create new things that we've never thought of before. And that's just the way it is. But I don't see any dramatic shift. Okay. And, and I never really have except from silent to talkies. <laughs> Silent. You know, that was that was a pretty good change there. You know, a silent stand-up comedian had to be hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah, but how would we know? That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. um, there was a. Uh, I heard I heard Stephen Wright the other day, which I think is is genius. Oh, the best. Um, yeah. He made a comment about it. He was a uh, he was an interpreter for a bad mime, and <laughs> to me, <laughs> that is just funny. <laughs> Oh, he's great. I mean, it, it's just that stuff. Um, how long, I mean, again, it goes back to that whole travel thing and everything else. If you're a good comedian, you've had a national run, how long does the career usually last? God, that's an impossible question to answer, Bill. I know, that's why I'm asking you. Oh, I see. All right, I'll come up with an answer. Then. Yeah, give me one. No uh, one will 11, know the difference. 11 years, Bill. 11 okay, years. 11 years, okay. Four months, 11 years. <laughs> No, that goes back. Yeah, to the I, think it, I think it really depends on what your goals are. Okay. If your goal is to just stand up comedy, and there are so few people left like this that yeah. just that don't want to sit comedy, they don't want to be in films, they just want to be a stand up comic. Um, it's it's very, very rare. But um, I have no idea where I was going. I'm getting tired. Is what's happening, Bill? <laughs> I've been coaching comedians all day, and they make me crazy. <laughs> well. Again, you have to have an interesting social life after talking to comedians all day. 
I, I never leave the house. I speak to no one. I mean, because seriously, they ha- I mean, they're expecting you to respond to what they think is funny. And I mean, oh, no, they don't. No, oh, okay. they don't. Oh, they know me better than that. <laughs> so in other no, words, I'm just I'm sitting here with a red pen and I'm crossing stuff out. You know, I'm making changes. They're not happy with that at all. Ever. Well, And that's a good thing. At least someone has to be honest with them. You know, that's my feeling, too. Uh, as as you coach now, do, is all your coaching done in person? Do you do it online? Um, okay, used to be ninety five percent face to face. Okay, now it's about ninety percent Skype or FaceTime. Really? Yeah, because the world needs a coach, my friend. That's true. But what you're are they right. going to do? You're Someone, right. Someone's living in Pennsylvania. You're right. What are they going to do for a coach? They're going to call me. So so you know, anywhere they speak English. Any country where they speak English, I've worked with people. Okay, so, okay, I have a, a question for you. So you're dealing with somebody sure. via Skype or FaceTime or whatever it may be, and they're yes. giving you jokes back. Do they do it as the routine, or do they bounce it off of you? Because I see it being very difficult to do it through a camera lens. Yeah. Here's, just here's to one person. Once a week, they're sending me every wrote that week okay remember we're vomiting stuff out right. for an hour a day not editing it at the end of the week they're sending me all of that stuff we're not looking at each other while i'm going through their material i'm going through it and i'm pulling aside the keepers i'm editing i'm punching up a little bit and i'm emailing them back okay. the material okay if and all we're doing at this point is accumulating material every week if they have questions they can facetime me or they can call me or whatever um and that's usually, and usually we don't use the FaceTime that much until we're at the rehearsal stage. Okay. But I remember one of your earlier questions. Yes, I do go out and see them perform mm-hmm. before I write for them many, many times and look at tapes too. Do you, when you watch a tape, are you, in your mind, are you getting the full effect of what they're doing or do you really have to be in the room to see how the crowd's reacting? I would say the average human being probably wouldn't get it off the tape, but I know what's going on. Okay. I can see them blink or look to the left and know, oh, they forgot the next joke. Okay. You know, I, yeah. So it's, not, it's really easy for me to do that. Because I, I, to me, I think that would be tough to try to get the full effect via um, just a camera lens, no matter what Yeah, but size I'm not just seeing one tape. I'm seeing many, many right. tapes of these people, and I'm seeing them live as well, if I can. So what is some of the advice you give a new comedian when they come out? Okay, let's go back. Because obviously you're not listening to me at all at this point. So, <laughs> yeah. so we're going to review clean material, mass audience appeal, fresh new material, dressing properly. No, I'm trying, to, try to, I'm trying to trip you up here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you really, try. you really think the clean material is that important? Oh, it's the number one thing. Yeah. So say a guy comes in, he gives it to you, and all he's doing is blue material. I know that before he ever gets gets here or I accept him as a student. Okay, that was where I was going. And, and, and I probably would not accept him okay. as a student unless they were flexible. Because have you turned down students because of... Oh, all the time for really? various reasons. Okay. I'm looking for people who, especially the, comedy, the stand-up comedy students, I'm looking for people who are dead serious about it okay because i know those are the people that are going to be successful okay because that's what i was i don't choose the i don't choose the funniest people that's the last thing i do 
Because, I don't care how funny you are because that's what we're going to work on. And, and, and so in other words, because I, I know I've talked to other people that do coaching for acting coaches and stuff like that, mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. and they say, yes, we accept everybody. And we will take their money, and we tell well, them. I used up to fr- do. I used to do that. Okay, that. Everybody makes that mistake. Okay, so you're basically yeah, very you're, select, selective, and no matter I, I what, I have to be because it's one on one. I can only work with yeah. so many people. And because you're doing this, you want to see the student be successful. Because if they're successful, you're successful. Yeah, my okay. students work. They make money. I'm gotcha. very happy for them. They okay. go on to make a lot more money than I do, and they never call me. <laughs> <laughs> they don't thank you. They don't do anything. <laughs> they never write. They never call. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, you sound like a Jewish mother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, they just don't want to talk to me anymore. Um, <laughs> but no, that's that's actually that's actually where I was going with it because I was kind of curious about turning them down, and then. And then being able to, 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 to select your students. Now, male, female, in your yes. opinion, who's funnier? Oh, well, there's no funnier. Okay. Equally as, equally as funny. Okay. Um, I, and it's weird because I'm, I would say over the 40 years, probably most of my students have been women. Really? I would say at least 60 or 70%. And why do you think that? Because I, I'm gonna, I have, I don't know, but I will guess that um, they're more open to instruction. Is okay. that possible? Is that? I mean, it's a generalization. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, um, but they they just seem to be more open to the coaching. In today's society, is it harder for a woman to be successful in comedy than it is a man? Um, in any field, that is true. Is it really? Cause I, I think so. I, I, cause I mean, I'm thinking about the groundbreakers like Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers and Lily Tomlin, Tomlin and, and go on back that they actually laid the groundwork that I would assume after a period of time, it would get easier. But if you're telling me it's not, I'm actually kind of surprised. Well, you named some great comics there. First of all, um, Phyllis Diller, I knew personally, really? I, I actually produced one of her, I actually produced her last CD. Oh, really? Uh, which was, uh, Phyllis Diller live in San Francisco. Okay. And you can find it anywhere. And I mean, it's, she was near the end of her career, but still at the top of her game. Oh, I think she's a wonderful. Yeah. And, and tremendously supportive of new comedians, especially female comedians. Okay. And so was Joan, by the way, uh-huh. Joan actually wrote the only book that I actually, thought reflected the act the actual business of stand-up comedy and it's called enter laughing okay and it's very hard to find a copy of that um but she really talks about being physically thrown out of comedy clubs for being bad (laughs) literally picked up thrown Thrown out out. onto the street (laughs) well some some of the stuff that joan did it's really interesting would be very tame by today's standards because I heard her talk about using the word pregnant in one of her routines, and they told her she couldn't say that. Right. That was the Ed Sullivan show yeah. shot. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's amazing. And I know times change and things evolve and everything else. But to me, that's why I said the Amy Schumers of the world and people like that, 
to me would have had a little bit of easier time. But if you're telling me that that, that it's just as difficult, oh, they're having an easier no no they're having an easier time for sure. And okay. I think Amy Schumer is excellent. Oh, I do too. Yeah, um, a lot of really good female comics out there. Uh, and, and who, give me a few names. You gave me a couple guys earlier. Give me a, a few names of female comics that you think are going to be on the forefront. Well, but they wouldn't make any sense to you because you're not going to know their names. Oh, I may. And then, and then if I don't mention their names, the other comedians, <laughs> I don't mention their names. <laughs> so you have to be thinking all the time. I'm, uh, I know you're trying to get me to put my foot in it, but I'm not going to do it. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm actually looking for someone else to listen to. Like I told you, I'm listening to comedy that's 40 and 50 years old. Right. I mean, and I, again, I love, I love the old stuff. And again, the newer stuff, and, and it may be, like you said, it may be an age thing because I'm not able to relate to it. But I, I would like to be able to, to relate to it are there comedian i mean how let me let me back up this question because i just thought of it the average age of your student is how old i mean i've worked with people who are nine years old and i work with people who are 85 years okay. old um it, it really varies it's a lot of people who um, besides the young kids, it's a lot of people who, you know, they have careers or they had careers. There okay. was a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer, okay. and they've always wanted to do stand-up. Okay. I mean, what do you tell a nine-year-old? Uh, not to suck his thumb. That would be number one. Uh, don't wet yourself. Oh, no, that's, I'm sure at nine they're not doing that. No. Um, well, again, it's, it would be—it was very specific to them and what I would have to tell them. So, because I can't basically—it's basically the same thing I would tell anyone else. Okay, because I just can't see their their audience being very large at the age of nine, unless people think kids' comedy is actually funny. Yeah, but the children will grow. Oh yeah, I understand. So I that. found that over the over the years they get older. Yeah, they do, and uh, then <laughs> and, and more expensive too. But yes, <laughs> trust me. Right, I I am taking your word for that. <laughs> I got three of them. Um, oh, congratulations! Yeah, but uh, oh the, really? Okay. The older no, the older they get, the more expensive they get too. But no, I just like I said, I'm just kind of curious because I'm thinking that the average. I mean, again, I'm probably totally wrong with this is that you're working with people in their 20s that are trying to start a career. And I you don't really see older comedians coming on the national forefront, at least not in my area, at least not I've seen. And I was just curious if there are older people, like you say, taking a second and third career and trying this out and actually being successful. Right. Well, a lot of those people, um, I try to guide them towards corporate entertainment. Okay. Whether it's and being a corporate entertainer, a corporate speaker, um, makes sense. they've got the, you know, a little bit of gray hair, they, yeah. they can wear a suit, um, we can work clean for these groups, and, right. and that's where the real money is, by the way, is in corporate work, not in working clubs. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, I won't leave the house for less than 25 grand. Wow. For a corporate gig. You know, but I've been doing this a long time. Right. But... Still, there's tremendous money. You know, they fly you in, they, they pick you up in a limo, they put you up, they're feeding you. It's like it's it's like it's a dream world. It's not like stand up at all. And I think that's really interesting because I don't think the average person thinks about corporate entertainments for conferences and retreats and stuff like that. I don't think they ever think that way. It's a huge market. 
That's interesting. I, I, I would have never, I would have never, I would have never guessed that. Cause I mean, well, Bill, let's get on it. Cause I think you're the perfect person to do this. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Why are you hesitating? <laughs> why? Cause I don't think I, I, okay, this goes back and I'm sure a lot this of people is, this like is a this. Hard sell, Bill. I, I think, hard sell. I think <laughs> a lot of people will be like this. I don't think I have the confidence to do it. I can sit and do this real easy because I am being shielded by a microphone and no one can see me and I can do it like this, but I don't know if dude, I could actually put myself out there to do it in front of a large group. Dude, I could whip you into shape. Really? I have no doubt. <laughs> I can just tell from talking to you. It's not going to be a problem. Oh, well, I'm glad you're confident. I don't know if I am or not. <laughs> I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell my wife, you know what? I'm giving it up. I'm going into comedy. I'm going to do what yes. I've always wanted to do. Yes, talk it over with the wife and get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll put in the aluminum siding. And exactly right, and we'll get the roof done at the same time. Um, no, I think... Bill, I think, I'm exhausted. There can't be more questions. There are no more questions on the planet. <laughs> there aren't any more questions. They're getting ready to wrap it up. Neil, I appreciate this. I had fun. I mean, Me too, man. Thank you. I mean, 40 years of doing this, like you said, no one's done it before you, and there's imitators that are following behind you. But you are the original, and I think that's very impressive that you were willing to take time to talk to me tonight about the whole uh, about the whole comedy coaching uh, business and what you do. Because I think a lot of Thanks, people man. out I, there, I really appreciate that. I think a lot of people out there wouldn't realize that um, that this is this is something that that these people use nor would they brag about it but again it's a service that you're doing for them and you're entertaining all of us through other people which is kind of impressive bill thank you so much for that and uh you know whatever you do put up a link of this interview so people can actually hear it <laughs> i will <laughs> trust me and it will be on the all radio right, it will be on the radio too so you don't have to worry about that but neil I, re I really appreciate it anything you want to tell my audience uh before you leave about your 40th anniversary. What are you doing special for the 40th anniversary? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. There'll be a cupcake with one candle in it. <laughs> That's about it. I can't handle too much excitement. Okay. That's uh, well, <laughs> at your age. I can't see how you could, but, <laughs> but Neil, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'd love to talk to you again real soon because I had a good time today. Me too, Bill. Thanks again. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neil Lieberman, the comedy coach from the website comedycoach.com. That was fun. I had a wonderful time. I hope you enjoyed it too because uh, it <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll give all this up and I'll go into comedy. I don't know if my wife would approve of it, but what the heck? You only live once, right? Uh, <laughs> I just think it would be hilarious if I tried. Anyhow, that's going to wrap up, wrap up a program for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast putting it on for you. Um, remember, we're on WMCK.FM. We're also on Fayette TV Channel 77. And we're broadcasting live from the Phil Giannetti Motor Studio, high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call. That number again is 724 785 and we are out of here and don't forget to check us out and this interview will be posted online at italknet.com everybody you have a great night I'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly Bill Alexander <laughs>
Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.